This is Stacy Toy from 258 Studios, and you're listening to Misery Point Radio. Minions, thanks for joining me again on Misery Point Radio. As always, I appreciate you taking one for the team and forcing yourself to tune in once more, even if it is against your will. But today, you'll be extra glad you did because I've got a kick-ass guest lined up for you. Someone who's been through hell, kicked Satan's ass, crawled back through the flames, and came back even stronger than ever to forge a new path and a new life. And if that doesn't inspire you, then you're even more of a lost cause than me. And we all know how I turned out, but that's a different story for a different therapy session. Moving on. Today's guest is the one and only Stacy Toy. Stacy is a COO of 258 Studios, a multifaceted organization that serves as an epic home base of top-tier audio, broadcast, and film production. She also heads up her own production company, Toy Entertainment Group, and between the two, she has already solidified a reputation as a true power player. I could go on forever listing off Stacy's epic accomplishments and overachievements, but I figure I already did most of the heavy lifting here. You're just going to have to tune in and listen to the show to hear her talk about her career firsthand. And not just her career, which spans film, recording, broadcasting, journalism, news, and more, but also of her personal struggles in dealing with the sudden death of her husband, which ultimately served as the catalyst for her taking a leap of faith, risking everything, walking away from financial stability, and plunging headfirst into the heart of the entertainment industry. This is a really awesome and personal conversation with someone who constantly defies the odds and forges her own paths through the fire. She's a true success story that is nothing short of awe-inspiring. Unless, of course, you don't like awesome and inspiring people, and in that case, you can just fuck right the hell off. But for the rest of you, prepare yourselves for an epic journey through the Badlands and into the realms of awesomeness. So please welcome to Misery Point Radio, the legendary Stacy Toy. Hey, Stacy, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me on Misery Point Radio. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited too. I think you have a lot of really, really killer things to talk about. And I think that uh, unlike uh, a lot of times when we say that, this is actually true because, you know, I read your bio, which is epic. And I feel a little bit less secure about my own self after was, reading yeah. your list of accomplishments, <laughs> uh, Ms. Overachiever, whatever my name's Stacy. I know, right? <laughs> so, Terrible. Yeah, Screw well... I'm also me. go you woohoo! I'm also no. I said screw me. Oh screw you! Oh okay. Well yeah, I'm not going to edit that out. We're going to leave that in. No, leave so, it in. <laughs> well, I am also stoked to uh, share the spotlight with someone whose last name probably has led to many painful conversations, such as myself. I can only imagine with a last name like Toy, you got shit just forever about that. Oh yeah, it was like Tinker Toy, Tonka Toy. And then my gym teacher's name was Bot, like Mr. Box, and they were like, "Oh, you're gonna get married and be Stacy Toy Box," you know, and like. <laughs> and those are the like, G-rated versions, I'm sure. Oh yeah, no, I have. I've been working on projects, and people have, you know, like pass are different, like pastors, and, and over in different countries, they'll like, "Oh, we googled you," and I'm like, "Well, make sure you clicked on because like Stacy and Toy together could come up with a lot of really interesting things." <laughs> 
So <laughs> I can only imagine the combination thereof. Well, you know, if you take my last name Peacock and you split that up into the two words yeah. that immediately come to mind, and then you think of each variation of each of those two words, you can imagine my entire childhood. And oh, yeah. um, as soon as we're done here, I'm going back to therapy. So uh, <laughs> it'll be awesome. So, you know, what are you doing over there right now? What's keeping you busy during the lockdown, unlockdown, now relockdown? Oh, yeah, it's insane. Um, well, <clears throat> excuse me, during the lockdown and stuff, I mean, it was constant phone calls because in the film industry, like nobody has any idea you know, what was going to happen, what is going to happen. We still don't. I mean, Hollywood shut down, you know, Broadway shut down. So, um, you know, everything was kind of like, what do we do? Um, so it was more so just phone calls and all that. But now that we can get back to meetings and all that, it's great. Now, we just went green last Friday, so only a few days ago. And so, I mean, work has picked up, which is great, but I'm just waiting for them to just pull it all away from us again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. When you say you went green, are you talking about with your company or are you talking about the industry in general? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. It, it, uh, our county went green for the oh, COVID okay. so it. that we could open back up. Um, so we've been closed, you know, since March. And so we were able to op open our businesses on Friday. Cool. So let's see how long that lasts. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. So currently, you are the COO of 258 Studios, correct? Yep. Is that a clever play on 24-7? I was just thinking about this. Yeah, yeah. My business partner came up with it. And it's like 25-8 because 24-7 just isn't enough time. <laughs> you know, nice. like that's when we work. And we do all seriously work. Like it's incredible. I mean, we all love what we do. And I know people say that, but we literally do. I mean, we do, you know, 18, 20 some hour shifts on set, you know, filming and, and whatever. And we just have a great time. It's never a bad time on set. So I just yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind answering phone calls and, you know, staying up late and going on sets and stuff. And I'm looking forward to getting back to it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds absolutely horrible. Sorry you have to go through all that. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm sure nobody understands right now during this time, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So now is that uh, is that tied to Toy Entertainment Group? Is that part of the same kind of parent thing? Or are we talking uh, two separate entities altogether? There are two separate entities altogether. Um, my Toy Entertainment Group, um, I basically started because I do a lot of freelance work as well, like overseas. Um, even last year, before all this stuff happened, um, you know, I ended I was doing uh, filming in Normandy for, you know, World War Two stuff um, for big network. Uh, I was over there in Nottingham doing another, you know, documentary for Robin Hood and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I love, I love over there. So, OK, so we're talking two two completely different things. So let's let's talk about first twenty five eight. What exactly is twenty five eight and what do you all do there? Um, so 25-8, we're, you know, a basically beginning to end and everything in between and everything you can imagine for film, television, radio, commercial, uh, print, you know, campaign ads, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we've done like our commercials. Um, we currently have like 13 American advertising awards for our commercials. Uh, we've done Toyota commercials for a few, like multiple years uh, for the Super Bowl and Paralympic Games and all that kind of stuff. So everything from local 
too large. Like I said, we've done campaigns, political campaigns, um, you know, and then documentaries, TV shows, film. My business partner, Mark Denenbaum, um, he worked out in L.A. for years. Um, he was on, like, the first two seasons of Sons of Anarchy, uh, behind the scenes, like, in production. Oh, um, one of my favorite on, shows. Really? He yeah, was there for it. all of it. And then, um, you know, he was like 24, House, Elementary, uh, you know, Scrubs. Like, he's worked on all of these epic TV shows. Um, and he came back and wanted to start that. And we also have a top-of-the-line recording studio in there. Um, and we have a 14,000-square-foot facility in Scranton uh, production house. And so we've got, like, the biggest psych wall between here, New York, and Philadelphia um, in the Pocono Mountains here. And we also have affiliate offices now in Los Angeles, Atlanta, Orlando, and London, outside of our Poconos office. Damn, so the Poconos are not good for just stashing the bodies and hiding the evidence. There's actually really cool things to do. Tell me about this recording studio, because I like, as I was telling you before we got on, knobs and buttons and twisties and sliders and microphones and all that kind of cool stuff. So what's going on at your recording studio? Who do you record there, and what's the setup like? Well, the first people that recorded in our studio was Breaking Benjamin. Um, yeah, they're from our area. Um, and that was a couple of years ago when they started it. But since then, um, they've recorded a lot of people. Um, you know, we have uh, the ability to link up. I mean, I go to the Grammy Awards every year. I have for the last seven years. And so <clears throat> as far as the music industry is concerned, uh, I'm very well connected with that stuff. So music-wise, they've done a lot of different things. Um, and even post-production, they've done posts and, and a lot of um, different things for um, like WGN's Outsiders, uh, Amazon's Pitch TV show and, and things like that. So even though nobody knows, you know, we're in a big warehouse and uh, nobody knows that we're even there except the people who need to know. <laughs> it's top secret. Yeah. I, there's a, a, fr- a friend of mine was the studio manager uh, for a studio that was owned by a, a very prominent local musician here. And the first time I went there, he goes, hey, it's it's an unmarked house, so don't tell anybody where it is. And then I show up there, and there's like 50 cars in the parking lot. And I'm like, dude, come on. You're not going to yeah. tell me that nobody knows this place is here. I mean, yeah, it's kind of hidden in plain sight, but, you know, it's there. They're all walking around with guitars and lugging stuff in from the street. And I'm like, <laughs> you're not being very, uh, very secretive there. So so you guys kind of have the same setup, though. It's a big place, very unassuming. And then you walk in and all the magic happens. Yep, yep everything it's pretty it's pretty impressive well i think it is especially just i think more so too because we're building it like everything that we're building is you know my my team and and everything else it's not like we're even hiring people um we do everything and and my team is just absolutely incredible so did you have a hand did i read something if it was this studio did you have a hand in literally setting up the equipment and getting all that going and and things like that or was that for a different gig uh yeah i mean i do help carry everything obviously on set i'll stand behind the camera and do whatever but when i worked in tv news because i was a tv news director i also produced um it was america it's america's highest rated local news station in the country here and we do these things that i remember when i was a kid I wanted to do when I grew up and it's called good morning, Pennsylvania. And they're just like 20 second spots, but they're like infamous in this area because right before, you know, during good morning America, right before the local news cut in, it's like, you know, Oh, join us here for whatever, whatever. And it's like, good morning, Pennsylvania. And it's like things that I remember growing up with. And then, so I was in charge of that. Um, so I'd have to go out 
And our coverage is like 21 counties. So it's like, I mean, it's huge. Mm, that's a pretty vast huge. expanse. Yeah. So that's why we're, we are like America's highest rated local news station in the country because, you know, I mean, you, it just, it's, it's 21 counties. I mean, geez. <laughs> yeah. That's more counties than I have. That's right. It's more than I have. <laughs> <laughs> so you got your hands kind of all over your dirty little hands, all over all these little independent spots and in the news and in the media and with recording and with film. What got you going down that road to say, I, I want to pursue entertainment industry stuff as as my passion? Because as everybody knows, it's not exactly the easiest place to break into and be able to actually no. make a living doing it. I know it's it I it's incredible and it's been a hell of a journey and honestly when I look back like I'm crazy to even think I'm like I can't believe that you would do something like that you know <laughs> what I mean um but as far I went I went into college um wanting to be a on your an on-air reporter uh for journalism um and two weeks into my freshman year of college I'd never been away before I grew up on a farm so like you know it was I hadn't been really anywhere um, and so two weeks into my freshman year, um, 9-11 happened and I was conveniently located six miles from Three Mile Island and I could see like Damn. the cooling towers from like my, so they gave us like an, um, potassium iodide pill. It's still in a scrapbook of mine. I kept it, <laughs> but it was like, you know, if you hear this sign or the signal or whatever, you got to take this pill. It's like, dude, if somebody flies a plane into Three Mile Island, like I'm just going to bend over and kiss my ass goodbye because like I'm looking at the, so it was like, it was the most uh, crazy experience in my life because I really feared for my life. I was finally like outside this bubble that I kind of had lived in. Um, and so that's what launched me into news. And then during news, um, towards the end of my career in news, um, I helped the person who came up with the automation system um, to perfect it across the United States for corporate. And so essentially, I knew that the control rooms were going from like 12 people down to two because of this. And I had learned about it two years prior when I was over working at the London 2012 Olympics. Um, and they were putting the automation systems in right after the big HD switch. Um, and so it was like, okay, are they going to get rid of me in 10 years, if that, or can I go and do something else? But like, that was everything I wanted to do. Um, so I've worked in 47 countries, uh, and for almost every major network on some level. So that I was like, well, you know, let's see. But at that point in time, I was also a widowed single mother of two. Um, and my boys, my husband died when him and I were both 28 and our kids were six and four. So I was just crazy enough at 30 to be like, I'm going to quit my full-time job as the sole financial provider for my children and go for my dream. So like, I literally was like, I'm, it's a fight or flight. Like, you know, I'm going to give myself a specific amount of time. And if I can't do it, at least I tried. I have no problem going and working at McDonald's, you know, or wherever. And not that that's like a bad thing because it's not, um, you know, but I have no problem working anywhere. I don't care what degrees I have. I went to Oxford. I've gone to Harvard. Who cares? I at least was like, my husband's dead. I got kids. I'm just crazy enough to do it. So, okay. So, um, you know, I, I was trying to find my place, uh, you know, in a various of different levels. Uh, and then I got hired to do PR for this movie. Um, and it was a horror film and I'm like, Oh, I've, you know, I've never really been into film, but everybody 
you know, I figured this will be exciting. I could be on set. Like, let's try it out. So I just, I mean, I have a natural curiosity. So I like to learn things and I like to figure out how things work. So because of the questions I asked within like the first week of being on set, it led to somebody getting let go. And then they came to me and said, hey, we want you to be the production manager. And I'm like, you know, I've never been on set before, like a film set. And you want me to run the entire film set? <laughs> they right. go, yeah, we, we think you could do it. And I'm like, okay. So I went on and I ordered filmmaking for dummies. And I figured I had an opportunity. So I took it and I was like, let's try it out and figure it out. Um, and so it led me into my producing career. And my business partner, I remember him telling me, like, you're a producer. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Because film producing and TV producing are just two totally different things. Um, but I didn't know that. So <clears throat> you know, Mark, my, Mark was like, you're a producer, you're a producer. And I'm like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And then he hired me to produce um, a, a commercial for Toyota. And he's like, come on, I'm going to show you. And then I just like fell into it. I was like, oh, asking all the right questions, doing all the right things. It's basically like being a mom, you know? So it's like, <laughs> I have to make sure everybody's taken care of. I have to make sure everybody's safe. I have to make sure the permits are here. Things are scheduled. You're going to go here. You're going to go there. So it's like, and then you got an issue, you come to me. It's like, I, my whole crew is like men. And, and that's, I mean, everybody's very super respectful and stuff. Um, but it's just so funny. Cause I'm like the big mom. So long, long, <laughs> long story short. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but there was like just a couple of, of things that happened and, you know, it was all basically, you know, uh, fight or flight mode. Um, I had no other options. Like, you know, even just with 9-11 and stuff, it's like, okay, if I'm going to get into news, uh, this is like the, the world stopped right now. So like, what can we do? You know, or if I'm going to get into it right now is the perfect chance to see what it's going to be like. And I loved it. It was like adrenaline rush. And that's why I really like directing. And I just said, screw, you know, being a reporter, like, I don't want to be on TV for two minutes after sitting in a courtroom all day. I'd rather be in the control room where I make a ton of less money. Nobody knows who I am. Everybody no, doesn't give a shit what you do. You're going to save everyone's <laughs> ass, but you'll never get the credit for it. You'll, I've never won an award. Like, I mean, I was directing things like the Sandy Hook shooting for certain <laughs> periods of time. And, you know, like when it was actually happening and, you know, the Eric Freen stuff, like there was just so much stuff. And it's like, I remember everyone else freaking out in the room and I'm like, okay, do this. Okay, do this, you know, cause you got to like, what are you going to do? You're on the air. It's time to act. And so it was so fun though. It was, it was really the best time ever. And I'm just sad that, you know, everything and all the automation systems had to change it, but that's the way the world works. But I'm glad that I had that much time doing it. Yeah. You know, I, when I was going to college, I was studying journalism myself and I was going to get into entertainment reporting. And so I did kind of like a, an unofficial internship at a couple of local papers. And mm -hmm. I found out that I didn't really like reporters that much <laughs> because yeah. they were stealing each other's stories. They were answering each other's phone calls. Like somebody would turn something into the editor and then change the name on. I was like, right there, yeah. no fucking, no scruples. They didn't h try to hide it. Now, I can't say that that's that rampant, you know, industry-wide. But for me, the people I was exposed to, I was like, it made me think, you know, I'm a good writer and I'm good at talking to people, but I don't really like how cutthroat it was to try to compete for stories and compete for 
you know, just yeah. all, all of that stuff. And, you know, they're stalking yeah. like the shortwave radios and, you mm-hmm. know, you'd get a call at like two in the morning and get down to the police station, something going on, you know? And I was like, yep. no, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you and, and reporters, I apologize. This isn't everybody, but if you are a reporter, please listen, get your facts straight. Okay. Like <laughs> I can't tell. Double any, check there your are shit. so many people who are so fucking stupid because they can't even get like if you're gonna talk about a car at least know how it goes together you know what i mean like they're like oh and this flying saucer and it's like a car and you're like (laughs) are you that far and like you know and then i love too when like you know producers and and uh on-air reporters are well on-air reporters become the producers because you know people are off or or something has to happen or somebody got fired that day yeah that too and then, you know, they stacked shows and it's so funny because I'll go, I just like would be marking my scripts and I'm not looking at what it is. And then all of a sudden it's like the same story is like in in the same first block of the show. And I'm like, so it was so funny. It was like, uh, okay. You know, like they just don't pay attention at all. So it's like, I was, con- they made the money and I had to fix all the issues. And it's like, and then you see the story and you're like, none of that is right. You know, there's there's typos all over the place. It's like, what do you do? Like, you don't give a shit. Like, be proud of your work. You're doing it every day, but be proud of it. Like, there are so many people who have worked behind the scenes and in front of the camera that are on point. Like, breaking news when there is yeah. no teleprompter, that is the make or break. And that tells you who's, you know, the men from the boys. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I remember thinking uh, kind of one of the last straws for me was, the amount of retractions that were getting printed like on a daily basis, you know, so they, they had, they'd run these stories and then it would come out like, Oh, that either wasn't accurate or it was completely made up retraction, retraction, retraction. We must apologize. We must, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like every day. And I'm like, yeah, this is, yeah, this is crazy. So so you got out of that element of it, but still found yourself playing with cameras and microphones and kind of other cool stuff. And you just really went more, towards the film side of things and you'd already kind of been around the world doing studies and kind of things like that. So, so what element of making film is more satisfying for you? What really kind of keeps you involved in that? Well, I really love, um, you know, we did, I did a documentary with Academy award-winning producer, director, Robert May. Um, he won for, with Errol Morris's fog of war documentary, uh, for the Academy award. And he did like kids for cash. And I mean, he's done an awful lot of really amazing films. Um, and he took me down, uh, it was me, him and three other crew members. And we went down to Haiti, um, <clears throat> and we filmed this documentary, we put it all together and it debuted at the national convention, like in Arizona back in like 2016. Um, and within 20 minutes, they raised like $2 million. And in less than a year after we had went over there to film the documentary with all these orphaned kids from Haiti who lost their parents, like in the earthquake and all that stuff. Um, they had everything. They had a school, they had a 14 acre lot that was with security and, they had homes and running water and, and internet and, you know, computers. I still keep in touch with them. Um, and to be in like the one girl, we don't even speak the same language. Um, but I remember the translator said before I left Haiti um, that she's because she was crying and she told the translator, you know, because 
I believed in her because I was like the only woman on the on the crew. But it's weird. You get a like a dynamic with a lot of people, especially I love broken people because I was broken. So like, you know, and to me, like, you know, God only uses broken people. So, you know, I always love to go and talk to them. Um, you know, so that kind of stuff is really what I love and my whole team loves because we love to help people. We like to give a voice to people who wouldn't have otherwise have been heard. Um, so as much as, you know, we do love all these shows and, and whatnot, and, and that film that, um, you know, I just said that I was on the uh, I became the production manager for it's currently on Amazon and voodoo and like 32 other different platforms, iTunes, all that stuff. And what's it called again? 100 acres of hell. It stars WWE's, uh, superstar Gene Snitsky and clerks and, uh, like Jane silent Bob fame, um, Ernie O'Donnell, uh, from all the Kevin Smith movies. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually pretty darn good. I kind of liked it. So yeah. I'm proud of it, you know? So, so who this, knows? <laughs> this gig in Haiti, I, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit more. Sure. So give us kind of the setting. Like, so you went there on your own to kind of, were you there to help and to deliver a message or was that just kind of the byproduct? You went there to film some stuff and then as a result, people realized what was going on and then they started donating money and things like that. Um, no, the problem is that they felt, um, down there in their organization, which it's an amazing Christian organization. It's called life song, uh, life song, or it's called open arms, Haiti, my documentary. And anybody can go online and look that up and it's there. It's only like 10 minutes. Um, but we got hired to go down there as a documentary crew, uh, and to film this for that national convention with the hopes, because so many people are afraid to go down to places like Haiti because it's a third world country. I mean, I have, I've been there like four times now. I really actually quite enjoy it. Um, it's scary though. Um, there's a lot of different, like we traveled with, uh, security and on like, you know, a secure bus. And there was times like in Port-au-Prince and stuff where people just start gathering in a mass and they're like, Stacy, get the kids and get on the bus, you know, like (laughs) let the men go and film. And I'm like, absolutely. I'm not stupid when it comes to that. I I love going to places that people are afraid of. I'm not going to the Middle East to like, you know, be some kind of hero. That's not my thing. <laughs> but if I know there's going to be a, like a secure, I mean, because we stayed, it, I felt terrible too. Like we, they put us up on this resort that had like clean water and the internet and flat screen TVs. And, and then everything and, else oh, is fucked up all over the place. Everything else all around us is like literally like I you heard my story on on um Mark Holiday's show I mean I was on the side of the road like at the having the worst stomach pains of my life and like a kid and was pulling a goat with a shoelace and just stopped and stood there right in front of me and I'm like what shoe in French Creole you know what I mean like get out of here like (laughs) what do you say but I mean you know the whole point is is like we're, we were working with um, the Queens, the One Queens charity over in the UK for a homeless documentary, which I hope we get to get back to, um, you know, working with other people for homeless vets here in the US. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of different organizations that we do a lot of stuff for, but it, I love to be able to tell people's stories and then other people be able to, you know, benefit from it, both the viewer and the people in the documentary. I mean, these kids, you know, the translator even said to me, like I said, that girl, she said, you know, that because I believed in her, um, she wanted to become the next president of Haiti so that she could take it over and make it great. It's like, 
that's phenomenal. Like she's been doing that for the last four years. She's been studying. She was doing great in school because now they have all these things. Like, wouldn't it be, how crazy is it that she, she may actually do it? You know what I mean? And like yeah. to just be able to help somebody to even have that vision, because even if she doesn't do that, like just think what she's going to be able to do. Like the point is, is that those people have nothing, but they have everything. So like they teach me just as much, you know, in return when I'm down there. So I love those kind of situations. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's awesome. It's, it's inspiring. It's also sometimes, you know, uh, jarringly shocking when you see the state of things as they really are when you're right down there in the middle of it. So, but you've been back. So clearly Haiti holds a, holds a special place in your heart. Yes, it absolutely does. You know, I mean, I was there two times. My husband actually um, proposed to me the first time because we went with Royal Caribbean. He took me on a cruise um, when he proposed to me. And the Labadee, Haiti is like the one part of the island that Royal Caribbean owns. So we went there and it was phenomenal. We ended up stopping back there again after our honeymoon. And both times we talked about wanting to come back to Haiti and doing something like Christian related and with kids that like helped. Um, so to be able to go back, uh, that last time that to go do the documentary and stuff, um, and doing, you know, the things that my husband and I said we wanted to do, uh, I had, it was, it was incredible, honestly, even personally for me, because that was the first time back without my husband. Um, and to be able to do all those things that we talked about and help people. And I mean, it was just like, I, I can, like, I go on vacation to concentration camps. Like I've been to Auschwitz twice, like just for fun. Like that's where I pick instead of going to the bar because I like to go to places where they say all hope is lost because even in all of those places, uh, I found hope. So like, uh, it's kind of like, uh, my mission, I guess, because everyone always told me I was going to be a failure at one point in time in my life. And it was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do it. Cause I had my, you know, my parents, they, it really supported me. And it was like, sometimes even when you have the carpet ripped out from underneath you, you just need one person to believe in you. You know what I mean? One person crazy enough to like say, okay, if they could do it, I could do it too. So yeah, no. <laughs> I just like to be that person. Cause I didn't do anything. Anybody said I was going to do. I did more. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I was wondering what, what kind of your motivation was because obviously you've traveled around the world. You've done some crazy stuff. There's got to be more to it than just, this is my job and I'm doing it because I want to do a good job. You've yeah. got to have something else that's driving you. And it sounds like your goal is that you really want to impact things in the world. Am I on the right track there? Yes, but I don't want to do it with like my face. If sure. that helps, like I want to be like behind the camera but helping other people or, you know, or at least guiding other people. Um, but as far as the inspiration behind it, um, the one thing that nine 11 also did was ramped up, uh, something that I didn't think was a problem, but I thought maybe it would become one, but I never, you know, I was a teenager. It didn't matter, but, um, essentially, you know, I dealt with a lot of, uh, ovarian cysts and cramps and, you know, back issues and stuff like that growing up. So, uh, I found myself taking a lot more, uh, opioids, uh, after nine 11, because I was afraid. Um, and essentially by the time I was at Oxford, um, I was taking between 70 and a hundred Vicodin a day Jesus. Uh, for years. I know it used to give me energy because people were like, Oh my God, it knocks me out. No, it used to give me energy. It made me the same way I am right now. Um, because I had to relearn how that works. So, <clears throat> 
I got back, I, I ran out of pills for the first time in my life. Now I'm clean. The end of this year, it was, it's like October 27th or whatever, but it was 2003. So it'll be 17 years at the end of this year. So it's pre-opioid addiction, right? So I went and I went to get help and I asked for help like at my college. Now I was back at my college here that's close uh, to Three Mile Island again after I got back from Oxford because I spent a year there and then a summer um, going to classes and all that stuff. And then I've, you know, did some more things afterwards. But um, so <laughs> whatever, it doesn't, <laughs> the whole point is, is it doesn't matter. Um, so I came home, I was asking for help. And people didn't know what to do with me because I wasn't using like heroin. It wasn't marijuana. It wasn't underage drinking. It was my own prescriptions. Right. Um, and that like wasn't a thing yet. So it was like, you know, it was well, such a Which explains why you're taking 70 of them because you can't even get fucking 70 Vicodin anymore. You know, I know. it's so crazy. And just to- I was getting thousands a month from my doctors because I was going to Oxford, dude, like our best school in the world. And, and this was for years. So every time like they would give me a prescription, I was going and doing stuff. And then, oh, yeah, I got into Oxford. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Just keep giving them to her so that, you know, because I can't get them over there. Um, and, and insurances back there were freaking terrible. So like my parents would just get them filled and then just send them over. And then, you know, at one point <laughs> send in time, you like it in the mail. Well, yeah, because it wasn't <laughs> like a thing, you know, nobody even thought twice about it because it was just a prescription. Um so essentially when I got back um, and, and I finally admitted things and, and then tried to get help and then that was a huge ordeal, literally my, my school, my college, we had, we had to get uh, an attorney so that I could get a medical leave and, you know, come back the following semester. Um, <clears throat> but everybody labeled me as this drug addict and this failure and, you know, and it was the longest, like six to nine months of my life. Like I, my eyelashes hurt. I like I literally my eyelashes hurt. I didn't even think it was a thing. Um, but I, I literally only had my parents, like my dad specifically, because my dad was part of the Oxycontin, uh, in the early nineties. So he knew what, what that was like to go through with withdrawal and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, fast forward, everything started to come back together. Um, I ended up having two kids and then I married my husband because, you know, I do everything backwards. Um, <laughs> but he was in the Navy. And so he got home, um, you know, and the thing is, is uh, when he got when he got home, like he was dealing with a lot of depression and PTSD, especially sure. he was a jet mechanic, you know, w- going around with the Blue Angels and on aircraft carriers. And then he comes back and, and you know, decides to leave the Navy to be a family. Um, and he can't find a job anywhere, you know, because this isn't, it's Pennsylvania. Like there's nowhere you're going to get an aircraft carrier or, you know, (laughs) any of that kind of stuff. And so he was dealing with a lot of that. And, um, on veterans day in 2011, um, he actually died of a heroin overdose, an accidental one. So he never was a heroin addict. Um, him and I, I've, we were friends since we were five years old. We never dated in school, but we graduated together. Um, and so him and I used to do drugs all the time, like just, you know, at parties and different events and stuff like that, um, in high school. But I remember the one time in high school, him and I both snorted heroin and we both were like, we can never do this again because it like scared us. Like even when I was trying to commit suicide, you know, because I was depressed and I was at the lowest point of my life and I just lost everything, um, you know, back in school, it was like, 
no, I can't, you know, I can't, I totaled two cars. Uh, You know, you try to like, you know, take more pills and you just keep waking up the next day. And it's like, nope, still not going to do heroin. Um, So he wasn't that kind of guy. But somebody that we had gone to school with um, growing up, he was a big troublemaker. He was known as one. Um, He was the one who I found out shot my husband up uh, Ah. that time because he didn't even know how to do it. So he shot him up and then, you know, obviously you lay down and he left and and my husband just died in his sleep. Um, So I found out who that guy was and I reached out to him via, you know, private message and on Facebook and said, you know, he was serving um, a a short jail sentence for something else like stealing chainsaws or something like it was so dumb. And I said, when you get out, I want to talk to you. Um, And so when he did get out just a few months later, um, he's like, what's up? And I'm like, I'm going to pick you up tomorrow from the halfway house, you know, and, uh, I'm going to take you to lunch and we're going to talk. And he's like, okay. Um, so I picked him up and took him out to lunch. And I said, listen, if you become the husband to your wife and the father to your two sons that my husband can no longer be, then I'll forgive you. And he's like, you know, he had tears in his eyes and he's like, you're the one person who's supposed to hate me, but you're all, you're the only person willing to help me. And I'm like, yeah, because I know what that's like. And I because I remember being kicked when I was down. I remember nobody having any faith in me, you know, and, and I was like, if I'm going to live through this, when I get out, like I am going to be the complete opposite. So I could be the example of what people should be doing. Um, so essentially, you know, he ne- I never gave him money or any of that stuff. Like I gave him, you know, like a Bible. I gave him um, minutes on his cell phone so that he could talk to his children, his wife. And for me, like he could call me when he needed something to talk, like somebody to talk to at the halfway house. He was working. I'd pick him up, you know, when it's snowing real bad and stuff, just so he didn't have to walk home and it was freezing, um, you know, different things like that. So at the end of it all, essentially, not only, um, you know, was I able to prove that the only thing more powerful than addiction and heroin and all of that stuff is love and forgiveness, but I've sustained it. Um, Nick, that's the guy who, you know, shot my husband up. He, uh, you know, he's now got his whole family back together. You know, he's kids. He's got a successful business of his own now. He's been clean now for nine years at the end of this year because um, that's how long my husband's been gone. And he was shooting 50 plus bags a day. He was like the worst of, there was four guys. He was the worst of all four of them. The other one was my husband and there was two other guys that they had grew up with. And essentially, um, my, every, he's the only one left now. He was the worst of all four of them. And he's the only one left alive because of addiction. So, you know, it, even though he took my husband's life, I gave him his life back. And I, and I love that he has that, but I, and I don't want to even say I gave it to him because I didn't give it to him. He earned it, but I was just kind of like cheering him on along the way. Um, mostly because everybody said, you know, why didn't you throw him back in prison and stuff? And it's like, dude, that's his second home. Like that's where everybody threw him. You know, to me, I was ready to walk in there. And if he told me to go fuck myself, I, okay, absolutely. Cause you know, forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's for you. So, you know, I at least knew that if that was going to happen, I tried. And, you know, that was okay. But I was like, but what if, and here we are now, almost nine years later, I haven't even seen him now in like almost two years, but he texts me every few months just to thank me still. Um, and how grateful he is for his life and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's super encouraging and, and, you know, just 
it's hopeful for other people to kind of see this because I'm a nobody from nowhere, Pennsylvania. I mean, literally my town, Hollisterville, like just made it on the map like six years ago. So (laughs) (laughs) it's like there's this little town that everyone knew for like, you know, 100 years, but it just made it on the map. So it's like anybody could do that. But I literally lost every single thing that I, you know, had originally built up my whole life. I mean, my parents didn't have money. Like I said, I grew up on a farm. I didn't even see the ocean until I was 16 because of those stupid animals. I, I love animals. <laughs> but like when you got to feed them before you open your Christmas presents. Yeah. You tell me how that works out. It's right. just not fun. You know, and so it's like my dad always taught me, you know, he said, nobody's going to come here and knock on the door for you. So you got to go out and get it. Um, so I brought an entire production crew here because half of 100 Acres of Hell is filmed on our property. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. So let's let's talk about that then. So you've also got a couple of things in the works right now. You've got uh, a documentary in the works, correct? Yes, I do. Yep. Uh, that's with Clarence Spady. He's a Grammy nominated uh, guitar blues guitarist. They've actually dubbed him the future of blues. Um, and for the last 35 years, he's been playing with everybody from B.B. King to Eric Clapton. He used to open for like the Temptations and the Supremes. Um, you know, it's incredible the stuff this guy has done all over the world. Um, and he's in like the top 40 in blues and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, we've been following his life around because, and this is a perfect example of my story kind of also coming into play at my work. Um, because Clarence has been a heroin addict for like 35 years. Um, and he ended up losing his son to an overdose last year. And so he got sober because of that. And now it's like we I've been able to help him um, on the back end to build up his career again and to do it sober. Um, And, you know, he's he's realizing how life is, you know, unfolding and and everything. And it's just like the coolest thing ever, too, because it's like this guy lost his son and, and he's his whole life. He's done nothing but, you know, shoot heroin and stuff. And there again, it's like my past and everything that I've experienced. And now I get to help somebody because of it. You know, they trust me because I know what it's like. I've seen both sides of the coin. I've experienced it. Um, you know, and, and I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> so when you're, when you're out there filming and following him around with the crew, are you taking it to that next level then and interacting with him on a personal level as well as on a production level? Uh, well, I mean, we are friends, um, you know, and we definitely, he comes over on, uh, my property cause we have, you know, like 20 acres, um, up here in the nice Pocono mountains where there's like hardly any COVID and there's nobody on the road. It's fantastic. So he comes up here just to like, you know, write songs, play his guitar. We have a big pond and like a, a little Creek and all that. Right on. So he goes down and, and, you know, does all that stuff. But yeah, as far as, as far as, you know, everybody I've worked with, celebrities or just everybody, you know, I like to stay in touch with people because, I mean, as long as everyone's a nice person, if you're an asshole, you, you know, I'll <laughs> maybe send you a Christmas card. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. Um, but I just, I like to keep in touch with people. And I think networking and, you know, all of that stuff is exactly why I've been able to succeed. You know, I always say, even though I'm a producer, uh, in movies, I always say when you leave the theater, when I leave the theater, um, my character has to come with me. You know, it's not the character or any of the characters that are on the screen or whatever. Like, I, you know, my character has to come with me. And so make better choices. Like, 
don't sleep with everybody to try to get ahead because it should only <laughs> last, you know, so long before you end up marrying somebody and then you just don't work again. Okay. So just get out. Right. <laughs> um, you know, like I'm, cause I didn't have to sleep with anybody to get any of this stuff. Like I literally Woo-hoo! actually earned it. Okay. <laughs> no casting couch for you. Yes. I'm no fun. Like, you know, like I had all that fun in college when I used to do drugs and then take painkillers. So I didn't have to feel, you know, I didn't, I don't have to relive that again. (laughs) So the, uh, the documentary that it's called the future of blues, which is actually apparently named after the gentleman himself. Well, yeah, that's the work. We have like a working title type thing. Um, because it's still obviously like there's a lot left to go, but hopefully we can get it done in the next couple of months. I'm doing, I'm hoping like New York opens up so that we can get up there to film in like a bunch of places like the Blue Note or Terra Blues and, you know, a bunch of these famous places that uh, Clarence still continues to play, um, you know, even just virtually or online or, or whatever, but he's played them for years. So, um, you know, and we have a lot of different big names and celebrities and people in music. Um, I mean, he, he was telling me when he was here at my house, um, like three weeks ago, cause Jesse Snyder came in D Snyder's son from twisted sisters. Another yeah. Very- yeah. Jesse and I are uh, scheduled to chat here. Oh yeah. He's awesome. He's so much fun. So when he come, he came down and Clarence was at my house. And so it was like the three of us masterminds here as in, <laughs> Those two did all the masterminding and I just sat back and I was like, I hope you guys make a Grammy so I can get a percentage of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you'll get to go to the show. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so is is the goal for this when when it's finished and all productions wrapped up? I mean, are we going to film festival this? Is this going to be something that you try to take it on um, the circuit or? Um, Honestly, I'm not sure because we have a lot of things in play. We have... um you know, uh, a public, a publicist for, um, I was introduced to this publicist by, by Matthew Knowles when I worked for him. That's, um, uh, Beyonce's dad. Yeah. Beyonce's dad. Crazy. So this publicist, um, he was in charge of Michael Jackson and, uh, all of Motown. He's celebrating his 50th anniversary this year of being in business and his current clients are like Mary J. Blige, Alicia Keys, DMX. Um, so he has already agreed to take Clarence and kind of, so you're all going to be seeing more of Clarence on, on very, various different levels. Um, Go Clarence. So, so you'll be able to start to get to know him before you even really know that there's a documentary and not only the documentary, but we're going to be filming, um, or, or not filming, recording the album that'll go with the documentary. And then we have a ghostwriter currently following us too to put a book out to go with the documentary and stuff too. So dude, that's badass. And is he going to record that at 25, eight? Yes, he is. And you know, with, with the other stuff, I mean, and that's the good part is our, um, Grammy award winning producer, you know, artist and stuff that we have at our LA office. Um, they actually just moved it. It's, uh, at Wayne Brady's house. Now that's where our studios is. It was, it used to be Marvin Gaye's old personal studios in North Hollywood, and uh, they just moved to Wayne Brady's because he's got like a huge studio, and so that's where it is. But our computers link up with the iCloud using Pro Tools, so people could literally be in our studio on Skype on the big TV, and then when they record in our studio, they're getting it in live time in Hollywood, yeah. and then they're in Skype and telling them, you know, okay, do it again or do this or whatever. So, you know, essentially – 
And we, you know, they've been building up all their different contexts. And I mean, essentially Jack, Jack Kugel and Jamie Jones are the ones out there. Jamie Jones is the lead singer from all for one. Um, they sing, I swear that uh-huh. song from the nineties. I love it. Um, and like Jack Kugel, his father, um, was the producer for in the still of the night by the five satins and founded the carpenters. And then Jack has the largest catalog at EMI, uh, Sony. Um, and has worked with, you know, everyone, Mart- uh, Martina McBride was, and Jim Brickman, Valentine was his song that he was up for his Grammy with. Um, you know, he did Wilson Phillips, Hey Santa. Uh, I mean, he, and he's doing right now, currently they're working on, um, all the stuff for, uh, like they did all the descends and stuff and zombies and all that from Disney. Like they're real big in the Disney world of, of music and things like that did too. Did you say so, descendants? Yeah, they're, Yeah. All of them. If you go on to iTunes, go on iTunes and look up on the thing. They have a couple songs. It's like the heavyweights. It's Jack Kugel and Jamie Jones and them. So, yeah, that's our business partners out there. And again, all of it is just don't be an asshole because I've known Jack, you know, for years now. um, But we stay in touch. And, and, you know, that's the thing is is people trust you. They're going to help you. And. You know, the thing is, is the real people will know that by helping you, they're intent, they're, they're essentially helping themselves. I don't do what other people do. I don't want to be, you know, in the recording studio doing music because my job is just to connect people and then to make sure everything goes splendid. If anybody gets hurt, I'll deal with all the paperwork and the insurances and, and all that stuff too. But, um, you know, I know my place and, and I think that's important, you know, Got to know when to lead, when to follow, and when to get out of the way. <laughs> isn't that a isn't that a uh, a Kenny Rogers song? I'm pretty sure. It's I don't know. Sounds something like That's that. Funny. Knowing well, when to hold them or great. something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned Wayne Brady a second ago. Have you had a chance to meet him? Yes, once before. <laughs> Did you call him Wayne Brady? Because I've heard notoriously he hates when people say, "Hey, Wayne Brady." He's like, "I don't have I don't have a a first name. I'm not Wayne. I'm just Wayne Brady for the rest That's of my funny. life." That's funny. Well, Wayne, Wayne and Jack and Jamie all go way back for years and years and years. And they've done all of his stuff, you know, for probably the last 15 years. Um, so they've been thick as thieves for a long time. So that's, you know, how I've known them is through them. But it's really cool because their their place is now at his house. So it would be, <laughs> that's where it'd be super, is. super badass if they all came to your house and had an impromptu whose line is anyway session. Um, oh, God. And then you could just have Wayne make up a bunch of songs on the spot. Um, yeah. Yeah. That would be badass. Well, you know. <laughs> You're like, when I go out, no. When I go out there next, we'll see what, if I can at least maybe get you on a face, like a FaceTime fun. Oh. I'll just be like, I'll record a little bit of it. Like, you know, and I'll be like, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's top secret. No. So Shh. speaking of top secret, though. You've got one more project that is getting ready to break. Am I correct? Because, you know, we've talked about how super awesome all of these life events are that have helped to form you into who you are. And I was thinking to myself, it would be really cool if somebody did something to tell your story. Yeah. Um, So, yes, currently right now um, I have a writer who is a big name family in the industry. Um, and she's absolutely incredible. Um, and she's currently writing a film that's based off of the events of my life that I just told you about with the addiction and then losing my husband and forgiving 
um, you know, the guy who did it and giving him his life back. So yeah, it's, it's currently being out there. Um, I, w- I can't wait to, t- I'm not going to like keep in secret. So like, I hate it because I would love, <laughs> like, I just want to tell you everything because I'm just so excited about it. Just but pretend have- like it's breaking news. Like, Look, I'll give you the music. I'll give you the music. And everything I say is wrong. Right. Retraction. Yeah. Retract that. Retract that. And I don't want any retractions and I don't need any lawsuits. So I guess I just have to be quiet. But just trust me. This is like the big I if I spent, you know, 17 years until all this, you know, finally came together into something, you know, worth it to me, because obviously, you know, if I'm not going to wait 17 years, my husband's dead nine years this year. Do you think I was just like waiting around for this? Like it all just kind of happened. And now, you know, I'm excited about it. It's not going to be me. It's going to be other people kind of portraying me, you know, essentially, I guess it's more so kind of like a, the Sandra Bullock character in the blind side mm-hmm. is, is kind of what I'm going for where I'm not the hero, but it's like, I'm connecting everything yeah. to it. So if that makes sense, because I'm not trying to be, you know, it, but I also know nobody else is going to be able to tell the story the way that I can. Sure. Um, and knowing all the people I know in the industry now and, and learning all the stuff I have, it's, I'm pulling out all the stops, man. I lived through this shit. You think, <laughs> even when I had my son, after all that, I told him I didn't care if he was a hubcap, I was keeping it, you know, <laughs> after all that work. <laughs> right. Do you, do you foresee this top secret project that we can't discuss, even though we're discussing it kind of, uh, being more along the lines of a, a kind of a, a biopic, like almost a documentary style, or are we talking more like feature filmy kind of yeah, feature filmy because I don't want to be in it. <laughs> I just right. want to produce it. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's going to be like that. And, it, you know, it's more I'm I know I'm going to have to sell out a little bit, but I'm working <laughs> on it because I they're not going to get me the way that they get everybody else. Um, you know, and so I'm speaking with, you know, a couple of different people at the big, big name um, Hollywood Studios stuff. So, yeah. you know, I'm not going to sell it all together, but I'm going to sell out at least a little bit because I do want the story to at least be told because, you know, if it comes out in 40 countries off the start in all theaters and all that kind of stuff, if it's good enough for that, then the point is, is it just gets the story across. Now, this isn't something that I want. I'm not going to pursue. Like, I'm not going to have a second one. I'm not going to, like, I want to do it, tell it, and then I'm done. And then and move on to something going. else. Right? Yeah, because the, that to me is like my my piece that I make with it. Do something good with it because I always want to make something good come from something bad. To me, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth leaves the world with a bunch of toothless blind people. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> you got to do something with it. So that this is going to be my attempt. And if I fail miserably, I'll come back on your show and we can talk about how I failed miserably because then somebody else can learn. <laughs> Something else. <laughs> well, therein lies the secret sauce for Misery Point Radio, which is, um, hey, I'm here for your failures. It's cool. <laughs> hey, I am I am the most proud of my failures. And so it's it's I always say that when I have to speak. Like I'm be proud of your failures because that's where you learn, that's where you grow. It's and they happen all the time. And it's like I why do people get so bent out of shape? Like I understand people get disappointed or there are things that happen. I mean, my husband's dead and I had little kids looking at me while I'm accepting a flag. I mean, come on, you try to tell me that that's easy. Yeah. You know, it's like, 
I mean, he, this guy literally like shot my husband up and that's why he's dead. And now, you know, I, I'm going to be a friend because I'm going to make, you know, I, I just want to change the way that the dynamic is seen, I guess, you know, and I think if people could forgive people and at least, you know, have a positive mindset or if nothing else, like be the fire that, you know, puts a light under everybody else's ass. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, you know, your life story is pretty epic. Your accomplishments are pretty epic. And I know that we can't just look at people and judge them on a sense of what they've accomplished according to, you know, the cosmos, like this makes you successful yeah. and that doesn't. But that being said, your accumulation of experiences are are pretty unique. I mean, it's, you, it's not every day that people get to travel around the world and work in all these different industries and and impact people's lives and work in film and work in music and go hang out but at I the Grammys. But I built it, man. Yeah. Nobody came and gave it to me, you know? And that's the thing is, if some people tell you, oh, you know, I'll think outside the box. Fuck the box, man. If you want to build a triangle, build a triangle. You know, if you don't, if just get rid of the box. Like, yeah. just build your the life that you want. And, you know, the, sometimes you have to grow into the person that you need to become to do these things. And, but if you don't like, if you stay comfortable, you're never going to fucking do it. Right. You know, like that's why I was like, okay, I know I can, you know, make money here and I'm, and, and I have my benefits and my health insurance and everything for me and my family, but I left all of it. Literally my dream job because I had to give myself one more shot. And it's like, I'm 36 years old now and all that shit's happened. It's incredible. Like, I can't even believe I lived through it, <laughs> let alone be here today. <laughs> so that being said, with all the stuff that you've done, what's left out there? I mean, you're pretty damn young to have already gone through that much stuff. What haven't you done that you <laughs> still want to do? Well, I can't parallel park. I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, wow, talking about shooting big. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I, everything after working at the news station, like I, that's all I ever really wanted to do. So once I did that and I did it well for like, you know, basically almost 11 years, um, you know, I was, I just decided the hell with it. I'm just going to keep going and try. So <laughs> that's what you got to do. Awesome. And uh, yep. once you've mastered the fine art of parallel parking, where do you go from there? I mean, have you I peaked at that point? Is that it? Is that the be all end all? No, 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 no. I mean, I like the strangest random stuff, you know, like currently I'm teaching myself how to learn how to pick a lock. And I got one of those master locks that's like see-through. Yeah. And then I got all the picks so I can like learn. Cause I want to be like MacGyver, like pull out a bobby <laughs> pin one day and save the day, you know, right. like that kind of stuff. Um, no, I don't know. Everything is, is just, you know, I just wanted to live man at one point in time. And it's like, when you fight for your life, sometimes once you get it, it, it like you got to live, man, if you're going to fight to live, then once you do live, it's time to fucking live. So, I mean, literally there's nothing, anybody, anybody, there's nothing, anything anybody could do to me that I haven't already done to myself. So what do you like? What else, you know, yeah, go what ahead, else is there? Me. What, <laughs> yeah. So everybody that, you know, 
said all these bad things about me and I was going to fail and everything. I mean, there was a couple of them. I'm sure it really hurt when they had to like, like my photo of me and like Tim McGraw and Faith Hill on the red carpet at the Grammys. <laughs> and, you know, like, so it's like, I bet against people go ahead because then if they go ahead and do it, you're going to feel like a freaking idiot. But nobody, there's not a lot of people who actually do it because they just don't believe that they can, or they don't have that support system. Fuck it. You know, take your fuck it all. And let's go like it's time, you know, to get this world back in order, because the way that it's going, it's like, didn't anybody tell these people that if you keep scratching the wound, it doesn't heal. Right. And like changing how it goes. Like I I don't like politics or any of that kind of stuff. And I try to stay away from it. But, you know, burning down your own house is like, you know, stupid. It's just fucking stupid. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You know, looking at it, you know, kind of where you've been and where you are now, you know, in and of itself is definitely an accomplishment. Do you think that on some level, there is just a certain amount of when you look at those people you were just talking about who might've tried to hold you back that you look at what you've done and it's kind of like a fuck you to all the haters. No, I don't look at it as a fuck you. Um, I look at it as, you know, I mean, a lot of people ask me for stuff now, like they want concert tickets or, you know, can somebody sign this or can you say happy birthday or, you know, and like, When they, uh, some of them that, you know, really, really tried to bet against me have come and asked me for things. And I'm like, absolutely. And it's like, you know, I don't even say anything. I just absolutely, here you go. I'll get it for you if I can, of course. And nine, 10 times out of 10, you know, everyone, I won't say a word. They'll turn around and be like, you know, I'm really sorry. It was like, hey man, no problem. Cause I forgave all those people a long time ago. But like, if you're not going to be the example and and, like proof that like you should not be an asshole, um, but (laughs) it's not, I, I don't, I don't harbor any ill will. I've ended up actually helping a couple of them, um, because they've gone on to have opioid addictions because of like accidents and and surgeries. And so, you know, Hey, we're here. If you're going to reach out to me or like my stuff and, and whatever it is, like everybody has been extremely super supportive of me. And I, I'm not going to be an asshole to that just because they were at one point in time, because I was, I was definitely a dick before all that stuff got taken away from me. (laughs) I was definitely a jerk. That (laughs) kind of reminds me of that scene. I don't know if you've seen it in Billy Madison where, you know, there's the, the people to kill list and the dude comes up and he's like, Hey man, you know, I'm really, really sorry. I, I, you know, I shit on you when you were a kid and he's like crosses him off the people to kill list. That's pretty (laughs) awesome. So, well, Stacy, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time out, hanging out with me here on misery point. Where can people find out more about you? How can they stalk you on the interwebs and check out all of the awesome stuff that you've got to offer the world? Um, well, you can find me. I'm on my Facebook account, Stacy Toys, S-T-A-C-E-Y-T-O-Y. Um, and also uh, at Stacy Toy on Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, and then you could also find 258 Studios. It's 258, all one word, like spelled out, studios on Instagram and on Facebook. And um, it's the number 258 studios.com if you want to go on our website (laughs) nice so do yourselves a favor go online do all that crazy social media stock that i know you all like to do and support all of our epic causes keep your eyes and ears peeled for the future of blues or whatever the final title might be and keep your eyes and ears peeled yeah there you go (laughs) and 
look out for her life story to be out there in your face sometime in the future. Stacy, thank you so much for hanging out. I appreciate it, and I'm sure I'll talk to you again real soon. Yay, thank you so much. You're the best. <laughs> well, did I not say that was awesome? That is, in fact, what I refer to as piles of awesomeness. Thanks again to Stacy Toy for hanging out with me today on Misery Point Radio, and thanks, of course, to all of you for hanging out with me on Misery Point Radio. Your support really does mean the world to me. And speaking of the world, it just absolutely blows my mind when I think of the fact that this show is now heard in almost 90 countries with new countries and territories being added every week. I just can't believe it. Y'all are awesome. You're amazing. And I can't thank you enough. If you want to continue to support the show, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You can, of course, follow me on all the social media sites, on the Book of Faces at Misery Point Radio, on the Instagrams at Misery Point Radio, on that Tweety Twatty place at Misery PT Radio, on the website, which is miserypointradio.podbean.com. I'm also part of the Spoilerverse Network, hosted by my friends at Spoiler Country. You can find that at www.spoilerverse.com forward slash Misery Point Radio. You can check out the YouTube channel if you want. That's awesome. And of course, here in the show notes, you can also check out my Linktree link, which will bring you to the Patreon site if you want to help support the show financially and get some kick-ass stuff. And there's also a merch store where you can buy t-shirts, hoodies, and even masks so you can cover up that filthy, disgusting stinkhole of yours and help save the world from your disgustingness. So thanks again. I appreciate each and every one of you, and I will talk to you very soon on Misery Point Radio.